Thanks to LegalZoom for supporting Industry Focus. Whether you want to take your business to the next level or take control of your family's future with an estate plan, LegalZoom is where you start. They're not a law firm, but their network of independent attorneys can help keep you on track. For special savings, enter FOOL at checkout at LegalZoom.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, March 2nd, and we're doing a deep dive on Dropbox's S1. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, to borrow a phrase from Chris Hill, the news fairy has been pretty good to us in tech over the past week. Yeah, I mean, this this day has been a long time coming for Dropbox. Yeah, we, we got news last Friday uh, that Dropbox's filing was going to be, become public. And we also got news earlier this week that Spotify is going to be going public. So, two huge unicorns uh, that a lot of people have been wondering, you know, when's the day going to come where I'm going to be able to get uh, my hands on some of these shares? We still have to wait for that, but we can at least start talking about the business and get a good sense of what's going on with these companies. We're going to touch on Spotify next week, next Friday's show. Uh, we're going to talk about Dropbox today. For those that might be unfamiliar with the business, Evan, you want to do a little rundown on what Dropbox does? Sure. Um, Dropbox was one of the kind of the first um, companies that really specialized in cloud storage. Uh, and I, I know, yeah, I was actually a very early user of Dropbox a long time ago. Uh, so I, you know, back when they first started, I was one of the early users, and you know, they have, used to have all these referral programs where if you refer people to sign up, they would increase your storage quota. So I think that really helps them grow that kind of referral word of mouth type marketing, which they still use to this day. Um, but yeah, it's basically just cloud storage. Um, they have a lot of free plans uh, for small storage, and then you can also pay for higher storage, and you know, it allows you to sync files across devices, have mobile access. Uh, you can also collaborate in the enterprise, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. And the way they make their money is through the subscription business. So you mentioned those free tiers. I think if you were to sign up right now, you'd get a free Dropbox account and two gigs of storage, and I think also maybe some email support or something like that. You go one tier up, you get one terabyte of storage for about $10 a month or $100 per year, and they have another tier of individual accounts beyond that. Um, for a long time, they've been a company that's been kind of focused on the individual side of the business. They've been kind of shifting that over the last couple of years to having more of a business focus and kind of looking at the enterprise market a little bit more. Right. They, they've historically been very focused on the consumer market, which is kind of a weird thing for a, a company like this because there's always more money in the enterprise. And in contrast, I mean, we'll talk about this more in depth later, but Box is a, a you know, another pure play cloud storage company that is always focused heavily on the enterprise. So there are some interesting distinctions, but we'll, we'll cover that a little bit later. And then over on that enterprise side, the plans, just to kind of give people an idea of what they're pulling in, uh, they range from $15 to $25 per month per user, or businesses can pay $150 to $240 per year per user. So it's one of those very scalable pay per head type businesses that we've seen be very successful in the business world. Um, I think something that is kind of interesting uh, with Dropbox is this is this is a freemium model, um, and they are kind of a company that had pioneered the idea of freemium and really popularized it in a lot of ways, where you get people in the door with a very basic version of your product and hope that you can kind of slowly upsell them to premium content tiers. Right. And I mean, I remember back in the early days that you know, with this referral upgrades, like I had got my account up to like 10 or 15 gigs for free based on just referrals and ongoing. They had run these promotions. So, it, it, yeah, definitely they, they were able to grow a lot of users, but also that, that free tier um, you know they're pretty generous to their users, even on the on the free side too. 
This is a company that has been kind of the focus of a lot of IPO speculation for a very long time. It's been around for over a decade right now. It's one of those prized unicorns of Silicon Valley and the tech startup scene. Um, it's also the first company to go public from the Y Combinator family. And this is this very popular, very well-known incubator. And they have this impressive portfolio of private businesses. Uh, they have early stages in Airbnb and Stripe. Um, so a lot of people are kind of trying to read the tea leaves here and say, oh, you know, Dropbox is going public. Maybe that's something that will, you know, kind of foreshadow Airbnb eventually going public too. Um, I, I think that that might be wishful thinking for a lot of people. You know, I don't know how connected, uh, you know, that those might be. But this is kind of a watershed moment for the Y Combinator group because it's their first major company going public. I think it's also a big step for Dropbox itself because you know the co-founder Drew Houston um, famously turned down an acquisition offer from Steve Jobs you know, nearly ten years ago, and not everyone says no to Steve Jobs. <laughs> and you know certainly if you're going to say no to a, a big acquisition offer, the ultimately obviously the goal is to grow their company on your own and ideally take it public at some point as a standalone business, in which case you'll get paid at that point as well. So uh, it is a pretty important milestone and. and yeah, like you said, they've been around for so long that people have been wondering, you know, when are you going to go public? And uh, there's this really good quote from that story where, you know, when, when pitching this acquisition, Steve Jobs was like, Dropbox is a feature, it's not a product. That was kind of a way to be like, hey, come on, sell to Apple and we can integrate. <laughs> but of course, now they have iCloud storage. But, you know, just yeah. kind of another, another reason why it's an interesting IPO. It's a it's a feature to Apple, right? Given the large scale of their overall business, but it does seem to be something that you can build a pretty impressive business in and of itself. On you look over at some of the core business metrics for this company: 500 million registered users as of the end of 2017. That is up from 400 million in 2016. We talked about that freemium model, though, and a very tiny portion of those registered users are actually paid users. Right. So just about two percent. I think that also speaks to like we mentioned, they're focused on the consumer side. You know, 500 million um, registered users, only 11 million are paying. So that shows you just how many free consumers there are. And, you know, the real challenge for them or the task going forward is going to be converting those to, to, to paid users. Whereas if you, you know, make a comparison to Box, for example, Box has about 60 million registered users and about 10 million paid users. So you can see that their their penetration of paid users is much higher. I mean, their their paying user base are comparable, but the total user base, Dropbox is massive, five hundred versus sixty. But both have about this ten or eleven million paying user, which you can you know is a result of this focus on enterprise versus consumer. I guess the difference there is Dropbox has to support a much larger group of people in order to get to that eleven million. Uh, the the counter argument there, though, you know, there's kind of two ways to look at that two percent of registered users are paid users. You could say one, people get enough for free that they don't really feel compelled to move up market. And two, the counter is Dropbox. Dropbox has a huge monetization opportunity in front of it. You know, just with people that are already existing customers, let alone having to go out and acquire more customers and pay for you know sales and marketing to make that happen. Right, exactly, and that's a great point too because. Uh, Dropbox spends very little on sales and marketing because you know they, they rely heavily on word of mouth referrals and kind of this grassroots marketing versus Box, which you know has these sales forces of enterprise, you know trying to really target the enterprise. So just for to put some numbers to compare, uh, last year Box spent uh, last year first of all Box revenue is much smaller, about 500 million versus Dropbox is 1.1 billion, and of that total. Box spent about 60% of revenue last year on sales and marketing, which is a huge proportion of your revenue to be spending in on sales and marketing. For Dropbox, that number is less than 30%. 
I think the idea of Dropbox really comes down to grassroots. Like everything about them is developmentally grassroots. <laughs> that is the mission because you think about the freemium model, getting people using it. That's part of it, but then they also have this kind of next phase vision for monetization where you get people maybe in the startup world or people that are running their own businesses using Dropbox for business purposes and then slowly growing their business, needing more storage, needing more support as they add people to it, and they move up the service tiers and wind up paying more. That, that is really kind of the broader vision for this company. Right. They they mentioned in their in their filing that you know a lot of times what happens is you have these individuals that are using Dropbox either for personal use or for work, and in case, in some cases those those are paying users. But then what they'll do is they'll, if they work at a bigger company, they'll basically pitch at their company as a, and so they they have this kind of bottom up approach of user acquisition because they have this really large loyal base of of users that really like the service. And so the company is is really, as you might imagine, in kind of creating buzz for their business and hopefully creating a big market for their stocks, uh, championing this approach and talking about the opportunity that's still in front of them. They say that of the 500 million registered uh, users they currently have, 300 million of them currently have some characteristic that makes them similar to current paying users. And so some of those are device and geography specific. One of the ones they point to, though, is having signed up using a business email. And, and that is not the entire group, but that is a leading indicator for them to say, okay, someone at an office is using this. They might be able to evangelize and get other people on it, and it might become the enterprise solution for their office. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, another core metric I think is kind of worth keeping in mind if you're looking at this business is ARPU. You know, this is something that we are familiar with. Um, with a lot of the social media businesses, uh, it's an important one here as we talk about this large base that they're looking at. Uh, but the ARPU is specific to paying users. It does not look at that 500 million number we were talking about before. Um, it's currently around $111.91. That's actually down from where it was in 2015, uh, around $113.51. The company blames some currency fluctuations for that, um, and, and it's improved from since 2016. But it hasn't really moved up meaningfully. Uh, the growth there isn't that great. Right. And I, wouldn't, I also wouldn't expect it to either going forward because, I mean, cloud storage, it, it's, cloud storage in general as a market has been undergoing this ongoing price war for literally years. I mean, past two or three years, um, you know, there's been just consistent cuts across the board. Um, but yeah, I mean, it boils down to about 10 bucks, a little less than $10 a month per user on av- per paying user on average. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that, that's pretty solid, um, you know, revenue base. Yeah, the best way for them to get that going, you know, and in the right direction is for them to get people on those higher priced uh, enterprise plans, which, you know, they can only get so many folks doing that. It's it's going to be a challenge. Um, one last number I think is worth mentioning. It's kind of specific to this business. It's their annualized net revenue retention rate, and this figure is basically a comps number that looks at the dollar value captured from a cohort of customers from one year ago to the next year. And so, uh, you'll see this with a lot of subscription businesses. Actually, Twilio has something similar. And the blended average across their individual and business accounts for the metric was 90% as of December 31st, 2017. And so, if you want to think about this a different way, if the company didn't add any new paying customers over the course of the year, they would have posted 90% of the revenue that they did a year prior. It's kind of a wonky number, but it gives you a good sense of what's going on with customer retention, churn, and what their ability to kind of move people to higher-priced products. 
Right, and they, they, that strong number, you know, 90%, I think goes to show how loyal these users are because Dropbox user base is pretty fanatical about it. I mean, they're, they're, they have a really strong brand among individual users. And actually what's incredible is that's a blended number I talked about. So that's individuals and business. If you go specifically to the Dropbox business segment, that figure was 100%, which is, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's unheard of. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at how all these things kind of work their way into the company financials, uh, in 2017, the company posted $1.1 billion in revenue, which was good for 31% year-over-year growth, um, down a little bit from the 39% growth the company posted in 2016. But the top line is kind of moving along there. I think looking at all the numbers on their income statement, the thing that is most encouraging to me is the huge expansion that they're seeing in their gross margins. Evan, we saw them go from 33% in 2015 to 67% in 2017. Right. And the real driver of that is um, Dropbox pursuing their own infrastructure. So, in the early days, Dropbox, like many other internet companies, relied heavily on Amazon Web Services to do all the kind of back-end cloud infrastructure and hosting. Uh, but starting in about 2013, Dropbox got to this scale, at which point they're like, you know, it makes financial sense for us to do this ourselves. So they kicked off this infrastructure optimization project back then. This was, again, 2013. It took them about two and a half years to complete. But basically, they built up their own infrastructure. It's all, it's all custom-built. And they, they migrated all of that information data from AWS onto their own infrastructure. Um, and that you know took many, many years, hundreds of millions of dollars of capital expenditures. And I mean, it's a huge initiative, um, but ultimately pays off, right? Because they completed the, the transition at the end of 2016. And then what you see is immediately capital expenditures just fall off the cliff because they were spending very heavily to build their infrastructure. Once it's mostly done, you don't have to spend that money anymore. And then your margins start to really grow as you're scaling, as you're, you're leveraging the, you know, the economies of scale here. So that, that's a huge part of it right there. I mean, they still use AWS to a smaller degree, but at this point, about 90% of all user data is held on their own servers and infrastructure. And looking at the bottom line now, Dropbox lost $115 million in 2017. The losses are narrowing there. Uh, in 2015, losses worth over $300 million. Uh, I see this as a business that is not profitable now, but given the gross margin expansion and the infrastructure strategy they've chosen, uh, I could see them being profitable in the near-term future. I don't think that this is a company that's going to be losing money forever. They definitely have the potential, particularly because they're they're, they're really you know, that infrastructure piece is a huge. It's hard to un- overstate how important that is. Uh, financially for a company like this. So they're doing all the right moves on the cost side. So I definitely think that as they continue to scale, um, you know, there is some definite you know, light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to talk through some listener questions and weigh in on what we think of Dropbox's business over on the back half of the show. Before we get over there, though, I want to thank our friends over at LegalZoom for supporting the show. Now that the New Year's madness is over, it's time to work on your story for 2018. And LegalZoom can help. Are you finally getting serious about launching and running your own business? Or maybe you're looking to square away your family's future with the right estate plan? You can do all that and more with LegalZoom. They've been helping people like you take care of their dreams and responsibilities for over 16 years. LegalZoom's not a law firm, but they have the resources to keep you on the right path, including advice from their network of independent attorneys all at your fingertips. LegalZoom plugs right into your life without billing you by the hour, because at LegalZoom, all pricing is given up front. Write your 2018 story now at LegalZoom.com with the code FOOL, and you can get some special savings. That's LegalZoom.com, code FOOL. LegalZoom, where life meets legal. All right, Evan, we mentioned 
We're going to be talking about Dropbox today on Twitter. Uh, we put it out on our at MF Industry Focus handle, and we ask listeners to hit us with any topics that they'd like to have discussed on the show. We have a few questions here. So Michael asked, "Can you talk about the tech IPO trend of non-voting shares and quote may never be profitable?" Seems like Snap started it, and Dropbox and Spotify are running at it, <laughs> like me after an ice cream truck. So you, you want to start that one off? Yeah. So um, I, I would say that the the kind of broader trend about tech IPOs not giving public investors a whole lot of vote or say in the business really started back you know 15, 20 years ago with Google because Google was one kind of probably the best example of poster boy of of doing this where. They they gave their insiders huge amount of control, and public investors didn't really get much vote. And that trend has unfortunately been accelerating over the past you know 15, 20 years, and it's now commonplace. It's it's more of like the rule than the exception these days, which is a bad thing in terms of corporate governance. But you know what can you do? I mean, Snap was really I, unique in the sense that they gave public investors zero votes, which is just like an insult, adding insult to injury. <laughs> Whereas, you know, most companies, it's, it's it's very common these days for, you know, insiders to have these super voting shares to where they can still maintain majority voting control. While public investors do technically get a say in, in, in a vote, they're, you know, they shouldn't have any illusions that they have majority voting. So it, it's kind of a technicality, but, um, uh, and, and just to clarify, on Dropbox, Dropbox public investors will get one vote per share. Uh, the Class B shares that insiders hold have 10 votes per share. So, same thing there. They're going to have consolidated voting power, but uh, public investors will will get one vote. And there are some non-voting shares that will be in the mix uh, for Dropbox. There are going to be some Class Cs, uh, I think, pending authorization, or maybe they have been authorized already. Uh, but they right. Will... So the the Class C shares, they they're basically creating this share class. Uh, no, there are no Class C outstanding shares, and there won't be any after the offering. Dropbox says they're basically reserving this class for future issuance, future issuance, um, to give to like employees for stock compensation, potentially maybe for, like currency and acquisitions if they want to do that. But but as of right now, and after the offering, there will not be any class shares outstanding immediately. And as for that language, may never be profitable. Uh, Evan, my read on that is that that's legalese that you're going to see in a lot of filings. I, you know, I've noticed that a couple of outlets have kind of run with it a bit because Dropbox is such a big issuance. But I don't think there's anything particular to read in there specific to this company. Right. That's that's pretty generic boilerplate legalese that a lot of companies use. Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's just I mean, anytime you look at risk factor legalese, companies they kind of go over overboard and just you know how lawyers get with liability. <laughs> they just want to, you know, you know, they want a tight, you know, a tight ship so there's no legal liability. So I, I, that's just kind of overly broad, you know, in my opinion. Okay, we have two questions that are kind of getting at the same thing here. Uh, so Casey asks, "What is Dropbox's unique selling point, which differentiates it from other companies in the market, uh, especially Microsoft, which has fully integrated Office bundled with OneDrive?" Also, where would they like to deploy money raised from the IPO? And Oren asks, uh, how is Dropbox going to compete with Google Docs or any other behemoth tech company? And so, both of these questions are kind of raising this uh, this very real concern of, you know, there are a lot of players in the space that have really deep pockets. You know, you, Apple's there, Google's there. That's just two, and Microsoft's there. Um, what is going to set Dropbox apart? Honestly, like I don't think there is a whole lot of differentiation fundamentally with cloud storage. I think it's just it's very 
it's a commodity, um, which really just kind of kills pricing power and undermines any pure plays that rely on this as their main business. I mean, Dropbox is very easy to use. It's very intuitive. Um, so they ha- they do have that going for them, but that's also very easily copied, and that's not something that's this you know sustainable advantage. Um, but you know, and, and you know, speaking of Microsoft, that's actually from personal experience exactly why I stopped using Dropbox because you know once I signed up for Office 365, they bundled in a terabyte of free cloud storage in addition to you know Office. So it just kind of for me that just killed the need to even have a free Dropbox account because now I got way more for what I was already paying for Office 365, and I mean as far as the, you know another thing of differentiation that they look at is these integrations. But I, I would also argue that these third-party integrations with other services and you know software that's all also pretty much table stakes at this point. So I don't think that's that's not part either. Yeah, uh, listeners that have been following and listening to some of the most recent shows know that I was in India recently and went to a wedding. And so, the bride and the groom sent out a Dropbox link asking people to upload pictures there so they could go through them and then share them with everyone. But my friends were using Google Photos to share pictures, you know, amongst the people that were just kind of traveling on this mini trip. And then I have all my stuff backed up on iCloud. So, so you look at like that right there is like the big players in the space in, in one anecdote. Um, it's a very fractured space, and I think that there's plenty of room for all these companies to exist. Um, but I don't know that that sets up Dropbox to thrive and really add a meaningful number of people. You know, you look at the offering that comes from Google, they give away 15 gigs for free, 100 gigs for $2 a month. That's pretty tough to compete with, especially when you consider the suite of stuff that comes with Gmail and how robust it is. Right, exactly. And that's the thing is like all these large, huge tech giants can basically offer this stuff at cost. Those costs come down over time, the prices come down. And then they're, they're, they're basically just offering it for more or less break even on the side just to support their primary businesses. Whereas companies like Box or Dropbox, they're pure plays on cloud storage. And if you have pure play, you have these giant companies cutting prices. Your pricing power goes is just out the window. You have to cut prices in response to competition, and then depending on how you're managing your cost structure, you know it's really hard to squeeze out a profit. So that that would be you know one of my concerns is that you know these pure plays, it's going to be really hard to compete with these giant companies. Oh, and real quick, as far as the, the question about what the proceeds will be used for, um, they mentioned just general corporate purposes, which is also again kind of standard boilerplate. Legalese. But uh, they did mention one specific thing that they, that they will use the IPO proceeds for is that they are going to pay down part of a revolver that they have that they're going to tap ahead of the IPO to cover some RSU uh, settlement costs, these restricted stock units. Uh, there's some costs associated with settling those, so they're going to borrow some money to, to cover these costs. They're going to use some of the IPO proceeds to pay back that money. Evan, they, they also haven't specified how much. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll just have to see. Uh, Evan, one last commenter from someone on Twitter, uh, Way, hearing us, hearing that we were going to be talking about an upcoming IPO, said, never will Dylan ever buy an IPO offering. So, I guess people are listening to the old shows, because that, that goes back to Never Will I Ever Week, uh, I think, in mid-2017. And I think that generally kind of wraps things up for us, right? I mean, we, we love doing these prospective shows. Um, it seems like we always come to this conclusion at the end, though, where we want to see, even if the valuation looks great when it starts trading, we want to see several quarters of good results and a sense of how management handles the scrutiny of being a publicly traded company. 
right. I never participate in IPOs directly uh, because they're it's just they're just so risky. There's so many factors. They're so volatile. I, I I'm in the same boat. You know, I want to see a couple quarters. I want the market to calm down a little bit because a lot of times these IPOs there's a lot of hype and sometimes you know they drive the price up and maybe maybe it's not justifiable and you know so i i also wait a couple quarters to let things kind of shake out settle down before i make any decisions as we get closer to an actual ipo date for dropbox we will definitely follow up and do another episode uh particularly once we get a good sense of what the valuation might be uh evan anything else before i let you go no i think we're good all right i just want to do a quick announcement um i'm going to be in austin starting next friday for south by southwest going to be making that trip with chris hill dan boyd and a couple of other fools and we're going to be having a listener meetup happy hour on Monday the 12th. So if you live in Austin, we'd love to have you come and hang out. If you email industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus, uh, we'll be happy to get you all the details that you need. Of course, if you're looking for more of our stuff and you want to uh, subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com podcast, we would love that. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Shout out to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and fool on. Cool